This is People Who Play, a show about the art of playful living. I'm Emma Warrillow, researcher, writer and part-time mermaid. And I'm Ben Martin, content creator and nostalgia junkie. Every episode we discuss family life, playtime and we interview a guest who has found a way to play at life. From creatives to educators to comedians, our aim is to inspire more grown-ups to grow down and unleash their unique play powers. If you'd like to join our play crew and find more inspiration and info on play, follow at playful underscore den on Instagram. And for all your retro feels, find me on Instagram at benflyingretro. I'm on there too, at Emma Warrillow, E-M-M-A, W-O-R-R-O-L-L-O, really. This podcast drops bi-weekly on Mondays, but if that's not enough to get your playful vibes vibing, you can also join my Patreon for £5 a month and you'll get a personal pod from me, which drops alternate Mondays. Plus, you can now watch the video interviews of our guests directly in there too. We really do appreciate all your likes, subscribes, follows and shares. These digital high fives really mean a lot to us and help us to grow the show. Okay, let's get on with the episode. It's playtime. Hello, welcome back. We have a smashing episode for you today. A brilliant guest and I just want to take a couple of minutes to just reflect on my conversation with Greg Bottrill. Greg is the author of the best-selling book, Can I Go and Play Now? He's also author of School of Magic Children and Love Letters to Play. He is a thought leader on education. He provides online resources and training for early years professionals. He's a real uh, spokesperson in the world of education, particularly Um, play and imagination um, and particularly in those early years he is a real advocate that education should be done with children not to them and has many amazing resources and philosophies and ideas and approaches like the drawing club the message center adventure island and all of his work is deeply embedded in joy adventure marvel and play four things that he believes are essential in childhood but also equally as important to adults joy adventure marvel and play so probably doesn't take much to guess that we're very much on the same page <laughs> and this was a real uh, a real treat for me to talk to Greg. I think also Greg reminded me, perhaps not reminded but I think instilled that education and politics are completely entwined. They really are. They are so synonymous with one another and we carry a legacy here in the UK from several decisions and shifts and points of view really from a a small group of people in education that has got us to the point we are at now in the UK which is a lot of testing, a lot of rote learning, a lot of pressure, um, a lot of I suppose inability for teachers to use their own creativity and respond to the needs of the classroom and Greg is able to share 
his experience with this from being in in teaching and in schools and point to the problems that it is causing and how it can feel as a teacher and also as a parent who you know has to send their kid to school how to I suppose work with it we can only really make radical change where through politics as I said they are so so intertwined with one another but I really do push and talk to Greg about even within that structure where we have no choice where perhaps we cannot make the bigger changes that we seek what can we do around that what do we do around the edges how do we support our children with play with imagination how do we speak to speak to teachers how do we keep a check on our um relationship with the school and the pressure and the work Um, and I hope that there is some light in this conversation for those of you listening from that point of view um I got to tell you that recently I have been having a few conversations where I have been really encouraged and inspired by the creativity within humanity. It is a really odd time at the moment. Uh, we're in winter, we're facing this energy crisis, the queen has just died. It there's there's a lot going on. Um and it can it's one of those times where it feels a little bit like everywhere you look the world wants to tell me anyway this is how i am experiencing the the inputs that are out there the world wants to tell me how awful humans are uh, it wants to tell me how just like what a mess we have got into it feels like at least for for me and i've had some conversations recently where we have focused on the creativity of humanity. This is what really makes us special as a as a species, is our creativity, our ability to come up with ideas, to imagine and then to act upon those ideas. Of course, there are many occasions where we should not, <laughs> we really shouldn't and we don't get it right. But just a few chats I've had recently have pointed to the incredible creativity that exists within this world and it has really affected my just mood and optimism I suppose and Greg is one of those people who embodies that he really really advocates for imagination and mind wandering and dreaming and creativity and he embodies this in his work in his philosophies and it really comes through in this conversation and I hope that by this conversation you also get a taste of that that I have been experiencing recently which is there is exciting creativity out there there is magic within the ideas and the way that we can imagine the future and our role as adults in the lives of young people that orbit around us is to really encourage those skills to encourage them to imagine to think in different directions to imagine different scenarios to really work those imaginative muscles because that is what is going to lead to positive evolution and to ensure that we don't just follow the vision of a few people but we have really really strong 
diverse, exciting Imagineers in the future that we can be inspired to act upon the creativity within the different visions that they um, come up with. So here is the conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. And big thanks to Greg for his time. You can find all of his work in the show notes. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it. Please follow. Please subscribe. It really does help the podcast. Greg, hello. Thank you so much for joining me and coming to chat on the podcast. I'm so so excited for this conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm speaking to to royalty. Well, that's on a day like this. Maybe we shouldn't <laughs> say that, should we? But anyway, I feel like we are. I am because um yeah, it's it's, it's genuine privilege to be uh, to have been invited on to come and chat with you for sure. So oh, thank likewise. you. Likewise, I um I love getting to do this podcast because I get to speak to people that. I stalk on social media <laughs> and I get to have real life um, conversations with them. And I really enjoy your stories of your walks in particular. Everyone should go and watch um, Greg's stories because you do these like poems, like it's poetry. You do these in the moment poems. And I want to get into that because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you have this word where you're out and about walking, where you call like nature play allies. And that, as soon as I saw that, that just spoke to me. And I think about mm-hmm. that so much. But before I jump into that, because um, <laughs> I know that your expertise um, and what you do sort of professionally centers on the early years. And I just wanted to kick off with um, understanding from your point of view, the both, I suppose, the significance of the development that happens in those early years. And then obviously, as you know, play is kind of our focus of this podcast. So if you could talk to us from your point of view about what is the role of play during that developmental stage? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, to to, to my mind, it's something I'm incredibly passionate about, is that play, play is who we are. It's not what we do it's it's embedded in our dna it's part of what we come into the world it's a program if you like um and you know i've been blessed to work with with young children for a long time and the, there's just something again I, in my second book school and the magic of children that's why i refer it to as the magic of children because there's something incredibly extraordinary about the world of well i'm gonna say naught to five but actually naught to 11 you could go on you know it there's there's just something within us it's our way of making sense of the world but more than that it's our way of showing the world who we are and that's why I'm so passionate about about play itself um because it's our identity yeah it's our identity so important and and that's when we sort of come on to think about most people's sort of, I guess our cultural or societal understanding of play, I think that's where there is just this sort of misunderstanding. As you say, it's not just the activity. It is so much more about our kind of authentic, our true self, our identity, whatever we want to call it. And, And somewhere, and maybe that's just a little bit, to I don't know almost like spiritual or not sciencey enough for some people to understand but I think we need to have way more conversations about that than just this is something kids do when they're young for fun and to develop yeah hugely and 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 my, my thing is so again in my second book I talk very much about something called the essential self and and that is embedded in play so creativity collaboration curiosity um, com- 
communication, all these things are what we need. I talk very much about soulification and that's our job. We have to soulify children. So it's taking their glow, their natural glow and amplifying it and just making it louder and more, more resonant. And there, to me, there is no excuse not to do that because if we don't do that, what we're doing is we are replacing children with a formula or a, and something that goes way back to Victorian times. And things will never change, can never change, unless our approach to early childhood does. That's, that's something I'm, I'm passionate about. Yeah. And we, you know, we have to give freedom and space and time to actually listen to children, listen yeah. to them. And everywhere I see you sort of go online, you always close with two little emojis of two little children. Mm -hmm. And then it says not and two little robots. Can you explain what that means? Because I think that links to what you were just explaining there. Well, I guess it's kind of like the idea of that is just quite a powerful symbol, if you like, of how I see childhood, that actually it's it, it is our humanity. And there is a political discourse that would deny that that somehow children are in a deficit model, that they somehow have to be given skills. And there's all this kind of what I call empty speak that goes around that, that this, there's this language often that you hear in schools about, you know, how, how children have, are somehow not formed, that's the teacher's role to teach them. And that's where we end up becoming we end up seeing them as robots, but but really on top of all of that, there's like a meta narrative, which is about those two children are actually the adults as well. Mm. So I, again, I, I do talk about play a lot, but in my story that I tell about children, I talk more about childhood because it doesn't end. Mm. It doesn't end at the age of five. You and I still have a child inside of us that wants to play. That can never be taken out of us. And you know, for, you know, and I don't have, it's not like a romantic view of childhood because I also recognize that children, some of us didn't have a great childhood and there's many children I've worked with. And if that's the case, we've got to give them even more magic and more opportunity and more joy to, you know, to explore the world and discover who they are. So that's kind of what that, that emoji is about. It's almost like an instant recognition of, yes, it's about children, but it's also about us as adults. And I mm -hmm. include that as teachers because teachers are not robots. So a lot yeah. of stuff I do is around schools. Mm. Um, what is up with our <laughs> education in this country? Like what, because you've obviously been in the industry mm -hmm. for a really long time now. You must have seen change or perhaps not, not, as, not enough change. Like what... What is going on with what we are doing to particularly the early years and this stripping out perhaps mm -hmm. of the soulification as you describe it? Well, it's a political agenda. It's a political agenda that began around Margaret Thatcher. And I make no, you know, I make no secret of where my politics lie. I think we do need to be more left-wing in life generally, that you know, and around when Thatcher came in, neoliberalism just began, came in from America about productivity, accountability, micromanagement. And, you know, Margaret Thatcher basically swept away the power of the unions. I grew up in Nottinghamshire where the miners' strikes were on. You know, and she said quite clearly that's what her ambition was to do. And, you know, you look now at the stuff that's going around with the train strikes, 
I love that because actually, okay, yeah, it's inconvenient, but actually we can't just stand aside and allow the market, whatever this imagined world is, because it is an imagined world, the market to dominate everything because it's, you know, we're human and actually we do have basic needs. And one of those is a basic need to education that sees us. So I talk about education done with children and not to them. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately we have a system where people who are responsible for education have never worked in it. And so we struggle with the ghost of, you know, Michael Gove's long gone, but his legacy lives on. You know, Liz Truss apparently came in and started talking about wanting to refer to mathematics as arithmetic. And our new Department of Education has never voted on education bill, well, hasn't voted on one since 2017. So he's not fit for purpose. And the thing with neoliberalism, what it does is it gives the accountability to everybody else, but not itself. So in my, in Can I Go and Play, my first book, in the second edition of it, I talk very much that neoliberalism has no love. It cannot love you, yet play does. Mm. Play loves you. That's because it's your guide. It is your guide, but neoliberalism wants to erode that. So that's the problem, neoliberalism. Yeah. And we're just, we're stuck in it. We're entombed in it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I grew up in the Midlands in the nineties and obviously would have started to feel the effects of that happening. But even compared to the education now that I've experienced with my kids going to school, it just seems to have got like, like I actually look back at my time at school and think, I wish it was still a bit like that for mm-hmm. them. Um, yep. And I, and, and the, I love the other part of it as well is the, I think the sort of parent culture around it. It feels like there is so much, um, perhaps it's a, a sort of a nervousness about the uncertainty of the future that yep. panics parents into this kind of like get ahead mentality. So even if you know, this is crazy, we're getting like, six-year-olds to cut they you know they come back with all these words diagraphs uh-huh. and I just think what even <laughs> if you know it's crazy you sort of think but I, I don't know I don't know what else to do and, and you sort of feel yeah. tr- like trapped in this sort of hamster wheel of I need to cover all bases to make sure that they're going to be all right in the future yep absolutely do you, do you yeah it is that and, and the thing is in all of this just as a at, just right at the start of this conversation anything that I say it's not anti-teacher and it's not anti-school yeah. even. It's just the system. And my belief is we have to dream a different way. Because if nobody dreams, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. We can't just accept what's, you know, what is. And there's a brilliant book. I've just got it here. And I don't know if you know of him or have had him in, in the past, but this guy, Rob Hopkins, do you know okay, his work? No. This is the most extraordinary book. So it might sound, you know, I'm obviously an author of a book and me suggesting others, but actually this, from what is to what if, one of the, one, the, the opening, you probably read it on the back there, it says, what if we took play more seriously? And there's a whole chapter, I mean, what, a, what an amazing question to ask. And his whole thing is to say, actually, we mustn't accept what we're given. Yeah. There's an amazing, can I just read it to you? That yeah. If I can just find the, not the whole book, by the way, don't worry. Can you imagine <laughs> if I turned it into like a. Just uh, getting up a tea, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go, eight hours later. But this, he quotes Neil Gaiman at the beginning. And I just think this is a really powerful quote. And when I read it, I, lit, I, I had to sit down because it was like, wow. And it goes, um, we all, adults and children, have an obligation to daydream. We have an obligation to imagine. 
It is easy to pretend that nobody can change anything, that we are in a world in which society is huge and the individual is less than nothing, an atom in a wall, a grain of rice in a rice field. But the truth is individuals change their world over and over. Individuals make the future and they do it by imagining things can be different. And it's that. And I find that a really powerful quote because actually that's what we have to do. We can't just accept what is. Because if we do that, what we have is, is that just this education system that continues to be just trapped by neoliberalism. Yeah, so, you know, you're so right. And you're I mean, you're you're talking my language here because we have to not only talk about the access to play in childhood, but we have to encourage imaginative thinking in adults in parents in teachers because on as an example on my instagram i love talking about reimagining education and i cannot tell you how any single thing that i suggest i will just get slammed every single time that won't work that won't. it's like no of course it won't work because the way you're thinking about it is taking that like one idea and applying it to what you already see and of course no it's not going to work we have to be able to dream and to think bigger and I actually watched this TED talk um recently uh it's by a lady called Angela Oguntala I hope I'm saying Mm -hmm. that correctly and she is talking about um the future and the role of imagining in the future and what I learned from that talk was that when um sort of future visions are put put into popular culture and she uses an example of talking into our watches it appeared in sci-fi so many times in the end we can now talk into our watches Mm -hmm. we have to be able to have these different visions and these different ways of imagining because visions of the future different scenarios we that they change our behavior we start to move towards them so if we only have the visions in front of us that someone else has created and we don't Mm. like them, we just continue marching towards them. So this idea of daydreaming, um, it can seem a privilege and to some extent it is, but it is so important to do that and to do that, you know, with people from different backgrounds, different experiences, so that we put different visions in front of us because otherwise we can't move towards anything new. Yep, absolutely. It's exactly that. And and it is about you know the word de- daydreaming. I come back to a lot at that you know it's a bit like like, like 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 at the start you were talking about some of my my social media posts and around poetry. I'm I'm obsessed with the poet John Clare and his whole experience back in like the early nineteenth century was there was a he was a child at the time where there was common land where you had access to pasture, you could hunt, etc., And the Lords of the Manor all got together and passed a Parliamentary Act, the Enclosure Act, and just went, right, we're having all of that. You can have these tiny little strips, but the rest is ours. And if you come on our land, we will, you know, you are trespassing. So they created this thing about private property and they threw the common land, just went. And I use that analogy of, because I passionately believe in something called the kingdom of play. And what's happened is the kingdom of play has been enclosed by neoliberalism. Mm. So, for example, book band books, that is a sales thing. It's not about children reading. It's about money. It's about profit. Phonics is about profit. It's not about getting children, in inverted commas, getting children to read, because that's what it is actually about, getting children to read. It should be, a, to my, it's about the joy of reading yeah. and the, the acceptance that 
not all children are the same, but the book band book companies, and I'm talking about the big people now within that, big corp phonics as I call them, there's no benefit to them to, to, to get rid of neoliberalism. There's no benefit to the school system under academy chains, CEOs, all of this. It's just this business model. And you have to question, at what point did we accept business belonged in education, mm. neoliberalism? So, you know, and it's about, it's not a nostalgia to the, for the past. It's actually saying, we've got to look at what's happening to our children. Yeah, I, I actually listened in on a webinar um, mm. from Five Rights the other day yeah. about um, the use of essentially um, digital platforms within yep. education because we've obviously come to this really rapidly now and it was just mm -hmm. fascinating to hear of, yeah, like what is the implications of having Google in your classroom, which is, yeah, maybe an amazing platform that lets you do loads of stuff, but ultimately is a commercial company yeah. that is essentially sort of advertising. Um, yeah, it's harvesting you. Yeah. <laughs> it's harvesting the children. And, and, and it's almost, again, so I, I love the, the uh, documentaries of a guy called Adam Curtis. I don't know if you know his stuff. Um, and for those, you know, who are watching and he wrote, he, he did a, a two hour documentary called hyper normalization, which was around uh, the time of uh, when Gorbachev kind of came to the Soviet, came into the Soviet power and Soviet Union. And it was this idea that everybody knew that communism wasn't working, but everyone accepted it. So, you know, you could look at our education system and say, does it work? Well, reading, reading levels haven't increased historically. I see more children disaffected. I see, yeah. you know, and it's again, it's not about teachers, not blaming teachers or schools. Yeah. Because they're all under pressure. Yeah. But where's the voices of dissent? Because there has to be those. We can't just go, oh, it's all lovely. And, you know, everything's about this. And, you know, let's just all the corporations come in and create topic plans and blah, 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 because it's easier. We need to put teachers back into the create, I believe, back into who they truly are, which is creative. And, you know, like when I grew up and I grew up in the, when I grew up in the 70s, I, every single teacher that I went through, gave me some of themselves their creative soul you know yeah and the freedoms now have become so limited to do that it's not to say there's not amazing teachers out there because there are but they're doing it within a system that means they've got to work even harder and we shouldn't have to you know we shouldn't have teacher retention problems teaching should be an incredible yeah. career that's rich and magical because what you're doing is you're going Ta-da, this is me you know let's have an adventure together yeah I, I think one of the most that is one of the most depressing things I get quite a lot of messages from teachers mm -hmm. who are just so burnt out fed yep. up and they I've had to interview a lot of teachers in my sort of research mm -hmm. career and they all well most of them all go into it for the same reason they want to make an impact on the lives of young people and that is their motivation to be able to pass on some knowledge mentor coach support yeah. um and then there's just they get in there and there's just so many things that they're not able to do and as a parent I just find that so frustrating because you know we have this expression it takes a village to raise a child like and yeah. that's why I also I don't want to homeschool my kids I don't want to have and I, I'm really respectful and I want to talk mm -hmm. about that sort of unschooling movement with mm -hmm. you as well actually we'll part mm -hmm. that but I don't yeah. personally want to do that like you know we have choice now I'm a woman I want to work I want to do all sure. these things and I want to have other 
people. I want other teachers, coaches in my kids' lives that have different inputs and experiences. And, and it's one of the things that I just think is so sad that someone can choose a pathway, a career that can help so many kids and so many parents. And then they get in there and they're just not able to fulfill that purpose. And we all know how important purpose is. We all need to sort of find our, you know, our thing and our purpose. And that I just find that so frustrating um, and just really, really sad. And especially when they sort of leave and you think, that's, you know, that's a really great person that's just left that could have yep. had so much to offer if they were allowed to use their creativity. Yep, absolutely. It's exactly that. It's um, it, it's emotional burnout. Yeah. Um, and again, it goes back to those, you know, to those emojis. We're human and we want to be brought to life. We want to be sparked. I mean, that's what Ken, Sir Ken Robinson talked about was like, you know, finding the spark within, find the spark within the child and find the spark within yourself as the adult. Um, and again, it's kind of why I very much talk now around this idea of adventure, because of what I found it, it can be really empowering for the teacher, because what we can begin to say is, okay, we know it's hard. But how can we find adventure within it? Let's amplify the bits that we can, because we can't change everything. In, in, we can't because, you know, we're not we're not in the Department of Education. But there needs to be those voices that reach the Department of Education. And my belief is it's about dialogue with parents and parents really understanding what's going on within the education system and demanding better, demanding soulification <laughs> do you know and, and and that sounds like a bit of a hippie phrase and we may be uncomfortable with it but ultimately it's about children being who they are yeah. not who they're told to be yeah. and you know i often look at like you know it, when i grew up in nottingham and we used to go to a, a week um, a, a yearly visit to the victorian schoolhouse underneath nottingham castle and I'm often reminded of that trip where, you know, you'd have this like an actor playing the teacher and you're all sitting desks and, you know, you get your chalkboards out and they took, you had, we had to dress up as Victorian children. And often I think if I, if I took a Victorian teacher and brought them into the present, other than the interactive whiteboard, what might I, what might be different? What might be different? And, and actually, is there much different? Are we still in chalk and talk? And again, it's not a criticism of teachers. It's just, you know, um, there are, as I say, there's there's lots of teachers trying desperately to bring yeah. this dry curriculum to life, who are working all hours yeah. to make you know putting so much effort in, but should they have to? And that's where we've got to look and go. What you know? What if we put fronted adverbials in the bin? Do children really know need to know what they are? Do they really? Is that is that going to change their lives? I would argue not. I just seen that just had a the pleasure of, of um, watching Michael Rosen um, do a, a, a keynote for, uh, in Guernsey, a conference. And that's what he talked about, about in his poetry. They're just full of fronted adverbials. Enjoy them. But do you actually need to know the function of them? I'd, I'm not convinced. You know, do so you really? True. You know? So true. Because if you can enjoy something, you do, there are going to be people who have a certain way of thinking and that will in a way be play for them to figure out well, how does that work and I want to know all about that but for for, my, for a lot of people yeah enjoy, enjoying how to use them is going to result in a richer way of actually bringing yep. them into their into their work Absolutely. it's um it's interesting that you talk about sort of 
in the work that you do about trying to make the best of the best <laughs> I was gonna ask you like how do you do it like with all of this like knowledge and the frustrations mm -hmm. and the vision of how it could be should be like how how do you how do you work within those constraints when you go in and do your teaching to to other sort of early years mm -hmm. practitioners well, I think it a lot depends on a lot depends on the individual I mean I've just I've just been been working with someone in, a, in an international school really really struggling and, and I, I was trying to say to them part of it is is that when you when you allow frustration and difficulty build to build up what it becomes it just becomes a stone inside of you mm. what happens is you can't get rid of that stone and you take it home to your own children and so what's happening then is your own family are suffering because of the stone that you're carrying inside of you and maybe your marriage suffers or your partnership or what have you whatever your situation is and you just carry this stone around you of anger and you know frustration and sometimes what we've got to do is almost take it out and just throw the stone away and go right what are the bits you know I, that i can bring myself into so yeah. i'm really into this idea of co-playing with children so when I go into schools, I'm blessed to work with lots of them and, and, and preschools as well. And I work with schools maybe just in their reception or in key stage one. And I've even worked with all the way through to key stage two, where there are heads who are, I would call the play people who recognize that childhood doesn't end at the age of five and are committed to making sure it's not ended. The idea is, is that we talk very much about, let's look at, so again, this is a shift in language, not the timetable, because the timetable belongs to the trains and to an office, but to the rhythm of the day. What mm. does the rhythm of the day look like? Because that's what ch children don't want a timetable. Yeah, That belongs back in 1875. We want a rhythm of the day. So what does a rhythm of the day look like? So now we're beginning to piece together the, the flow. So I, I can never say his name because it's, it's a, I think he was Polish or Romanian. There's a guy who wrote about the flow of play. Uh, it begins with a C. It's a really long name, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But anyway, he wrote about the flow. And what we try and do is go, okay, so let's say you've got phonics. Well, that's a scheme. We can't change that. But what you can do is once you've finished it, I used to have in my practice something called the bag of joy. And the bag of joy came out, and in it were these like little objects. And again, some people listening to this might think it's a little madcap and left field, but that's okay. It was just who I was, and it was what I know children love. So I'd in, the, in that bag of joy, I'd have a head massage, I'd have a plastic dog poo, a cat, little, like a plastic cat sick, um, a zombie hand. And after that kind of bit of phonics, the bag of joy came out. And it wasn't a reward for phonics. It was just in the rhythm of the day. And I'd get the plastic dog poo and we'd just rub it in the children's faces. And there's this massive joy. About, yeah, <laughs> there is a massive joy about being rubbed. You have to send a letter home to parents, by the way, when you do it. So they go, <laughs> Mr. Botchel. But the idea being is like, it's now we've broken the spell. Let's go. Mm, do you know what I mean? We're like, yeah. And then we go into play. And it's about what I call the play sandwich. So you've got the elements of the bread are the bits of the carpet bits. They're the bread. But what's the filling? Because children need to play. Yeah. They need to explore discover adventure all those things but we're not play tourists we are on the adventure too so where will it take us so that's what i talk with teachers about and co-playing is ultimately saying i am a child too so i'm going to go and play so for example when i go into schools i am straight into the mud kitchen because i've just i love mud kitchen play 
or the water. That, by the way, is like papaying is like going straight there, by the way. Yeah. Sorry, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was there. Yeah, you were there. Um, Because it's the kind of play that I love and I know I'm going to have a great adventure there. And what I can do then is I can sprinkle the skills that the adult world. So the adult world is the world that's forgotten childhood and is, you know, is trapped and entombed in spreadsheets and outcomes and all the empty speak of that because it is empty speak. It's just an imagined world that they have. It's again, it's about this idea of imagination. Does the adult world have its own imagination? Well, no, it doesn't. The play people and children do. So the idea is then is to show children this, you know, the joy of maths and the joy of mark making within the flow. And it's a really powerful way to work with children. Mm. It embraces what you do on the carpet with children. But at the same time, it enables me as a practitioner to I can then share anything with them because we're just chatting. We are enjoying one another's company. And what we're doing is we're just opening up and again. If, you, if we don't, if this is not like the idea of souls, that's just opening up ears or brains. But I believe it's the soul. We're opening up our souls to one another. And the really powerful thing around this adventure concept that I talk about very much is I'm no longer a teacher. I'm a companion. And the children are my companions. I am theirs. The objects in the room are companions. The animals that arrive outside are companions. And the imagined world is our companion. And it's a really powerful way to work with children, especially those who don't get the opportunity to play at weekends. Mm. You know, it's like, mm. what is school? Isn't just school. It's not like this. This is my belief. It's not like some weird thing that you go to and then leave and yeah. then go to and leave. It's life. Yeah. It's life. It's where children spend, you know, a huge yeah. amount of their time. So it's about amplifying all the joy of being alive. Where's the joy of being alive? Yeah. And trying to go, yeah, okay. There is a joy in phonics, though there is a joy in it. And we could argue whether it's the right age to teach it to them, but we can't change that. You, as a teacher, you'd lose your job if you turned around and went, well, I'm not teaching it. But you can show children the joy of it. You absolutely can. It's so, oh, it's just so like heartwarming to hear you talking this way. But it also feels the opposite. Like it makes so mm. much sense. Like as you say it, of course, like we need those adults to to be to meet children where they are and be on the same level. Yet it feels like everything around the way that the school is structured, the timetable, the uniforms. It's it's you're talking about almost like a, dem a, a democratization of power, but yep. in schools, actually, Absolutely. what exists is like this tension between order and. Mm -hmm learning and those two things are really juxtaposed actually there is no order in learning no. especially in no. you know the, the younger children well there's a hidden i would say there's, there's, there is a hidden order yeah but it's about often we talk about children's curiosity yeah but actually it's the adults uh, it's the where's the adults curiosity yeah so so for me again a lot of my work is not around if this sounds a bit strange but children have this program called play. Childhood knows what it's doing. Yeah. It's the adults that don't. Mm. The adults get in the way because they're carrying this baggage, this stone inside of them that wants them to control stuff that's actually about fear. It, they bring a fear in. And again, the play people, those people who I consider to be the practitioners, the teachers, the companions who advocate for childhood who want the very best who 
believe in the magic of children who ultimately have seen this door, this metaphorical door and stepped on through and gone, do you know what? I'm leaving this world that's just this, you know, this, in, this entombed world. On the other side of this door is this landscape that I'm going to go and, and uh, venture in. But to do it, you have to make yourself vulnerable because you don't know what's going to happen. So I believe that's the strength of the play people because we have the strength to become vulnerable. I don't know if you've ever had therapy ever in your life, but that's what it's about. You have yeah. to go to a therapist or a counselor and you have to sit there and say to yourself, I need to change. I have to have self, uh, what's the word, um, accountability. And again, this is about neoliberalism. Neoliberalism wants accountability for everything other than the way we are with children, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. So you have to break okay. yourself down, unlearn. See, adults all the time unlearn what you think education is and amplify your own curiosity and go and find out. Go and find out what children are, you know, showing you, which is kind of for those of you who are listening who know about Reggio Emilia and yeah. Loris Malaguzzi, the 100 Languages of Children. So if you don't know about that, Google it, 100 Languages of Children poem. It's extraordinary. Mm. It's a hymn to childhood. And, you know, I talk very much about singing the song of play. And, and if, if the play people don't sing it, then who is? We're mm. doomed yeah. if, if the play people don't. So, yeah. and we have to sing it. And I, I, I think it's always attributed to Socrates or Plato. But I don't think they actually said it. It was this idea of, it's not about trying to change the world. It's about creating a new one. And that's very much about what my work is. I'm trying to show that you can create a new world. Yeah. And if you're either in or you're out. In your... Um... Uh, in our earlier conversation, you mentioned the role of parents yep. in that. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, we were sort of saying, you know, we don't have control over some yeah. things, but we can have control over others. And in that, you sort of mentioned the significance of um, parents' understanding of edu education yep. and parents' um, perhaps, you know, actions and all that sort of thing. Um, what would you say to, because I think, one of the the things I hear a lot, and I have this myself, as I've already mentioned, mm. I know, particularly for one of our children, that the curriculum is just, it's round peg square hole for want of a better expression. Yep. Um, but I also don't want to homeschool, as I've mentioned, and I'm not really sure of the access to alternatives, etc. What can the parent do in that situation where, as we're saying, we don't have control over all of these things? Like, how can we support children, um, even if we're putting them in a system that we know is not conducive to soulification? Well, I guess there's, that's a really interesting question. I, I, the, the, to, to me, there's several things. The first one is to be more political. Yeah. <laughs> because... We have to look at why that is. Why, why, why is, why is our parenting, in terms of you know, when children go to school and they come back, why is it that play our own time with? Why is time with children? Because that's also that's what it comes back to. Why is time with our children always feel so compacted? Mm. Why isn't there time? And it's that's and that's around work neoliberalism capitalism that's what it is there's a political framework that we live in that seems to go unchallenged but actually you know i work with parents who are holding three jobs to put food on the table yeah 
who are struggling. Play cannot be a privilege. A childhood can't be a privilege. And what we've got to do is try and encourage ourselves, one another, to question why this from what to question what is going on? Why am I? Why don't I have to? Because ultimately, that's what it is. The answer to the question is it's about time. Mm. And so I have um, I create this. I've got this uh, thing called Adventure Island, which is like a, a make believe world. And it has a, mag- a monthly magazine that goes with it. And in it, I talk very much about time together. No cost. Yep. Two minutes. It can be on the way to, to school, on the way to the shops. It can be when you've got to go out and about running errands around the dinner table, on the sofa, wherever, where there's like this little spark of just chat. Yep. Chatting with you. That's what children want. They want time. They want to belong with us. Our money does our money provide stuff of course but it does it can never make your child belong to you yeah. what can belong to you is your presence you know one of the big things that i've that i talk about is just putting our mobile phones away for a certain period of time like 15 minutes just put them up down put them away and just be present and by the way i'm not teaching parents how to parent by the way i'm really not but that's what i believe those small things you can't change everything of course you can't but it's about just being present chatting um imagining just again i i with my own children i kind of sort of talk to them like they were little mini adults you know obviously within parameters but you know it's like i just chatted to them chatted to them about i don't know about my own childhood about food that I, i don't know just just chatted yeah and what it does is that gives them the language it gives them the connection and it's about listening to them. Mm. It's not necessarily always this kind of on top playing with children because actually mm. children don't want to be with adults all the time because mm. believe it or not, adults are quite boring to them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, and I'll, you know, I'm quite playful, but I know there's times <laughs> when the children have got looked at me and gone, really? Do you know? Because they're tuned into one another. Yeah. Yeah. But it is about also trying, but as best as we can, not to buy into the capitalist thing of your book band colour maketh the child. Because oh, it doesn't. Color. It doesn't. That, it's just to sell a scheme. That's all it is. Mm. Children can learn to read without a book mm. band book. It's just a, an accountability measure of yeah. what they're on, where they're at. And it's that bit that I want to try and expose. Yeah along the way so you're talking about who we are within play and adults well i've got a book coming out probably in the next two years where i'm going to look, be looking at the Jungian archetypes and there's 12 of them i think off the top of my head yeah. and one of them doesn't belong all the others do but one doesn't right and it's Which the one? one that it's the one that represents power yeah all the others can come in so the book is going to try and expose this this because we mustn't have power over children Children, it's not about power. Yeah, we show them the we show them parameters of morality. We yeah. show them the parameters of goodness, whatever we define that as, about sociability of our soul. But we're not there to have control over yeah. them. We're absolutely not. You know, I I work with when I go into schools and they will talk about maybe the secondary school and all these mad rules that secondary schools have of like you can only carry your bag over one shoulder down the corridor and, and if you don't. Someone said to me the other day that their child got a two two-hour detention because they didn't listen to the teacher twice in the lesson and it's like yeah but was the teacher actually saying anything exciting or not because I wouldn't want to sit there and listen do you know what I mean so it's like again and again that's not teacher bashing it really isn't 
but we've got to have some accountability for ourselves mm. as to what we're doing with children. It's not just here's a curriculum and deliver it. That's what Michael Gove wants. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but if he was on, a, if he, if he were, if we were in a school field and they said, whose football team do you want to be on? And I had Jean Piaget, Malaguzzi, Montessori, Froebel, you know, on one team and Michael Gove was sat on the other. I know which team I'd go and join. Yeah. I think it's so true about all the all the rules and the sort of power and things and I think what 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 is frustrating there is um I mean I had a big falling out about a pair of school shoes I probably shouldn't really go into it but I just I find it frustrating that I think if you have any time in your day Mm -hmm. teacher person that I would love to have sort of impact on my child please use it for something that you know is a conversation or that isn't to like argue over some nitty itty bitty rule and it's it's incredibly frustrating and I think we have sort of progressed quite a lot in in the sort of working world in a way that and again I think the gap between school and where we're at in time has also been big but now it's like it's vacuous like it's insane it's almost Mm -hmm. like you're looking at things and you're just thinking this is bonkers because um in the working world you know we're moving towards steadily slowly it's all very painfully slow but you know four day weeks and you know we're not even an accountant messaged me because I was doing some stories the other day about school uniform and how you know we're actually in the minority now you know most schools in Europe um don't have school uniform etc and sort of debating with people around this idea and this lady texted me and she was like I'm an accountant and even we don't wear ties anymore (laughs) Um, so you know there's all of these things that you know have changed in the adult world and and yet we still expect kids to do all these things that that we would never do and if you are fortunate to you know have a career that you pursue out of passion and you're in a position where you sort of are able to follow purpose as you say you're you're not willing to sort of participate in things that are not sort of stimulating to you and if you find yourselves in those jobs generally people use them as a stepping stone to move to something they are interested in um and yeah it's just all these things that still exist in school that are really not not as commonplace in adulthood anymore because because ultimately going back to the yeah exactly because what happens is which is the true answer to your question is is give children give your children simplicity the adult world has an amazing knack to make everything complicated because if you can't, if you don't make it complicated, then you can't control it. Mm. So, you know, my, I know of schools where there's a, on the tie, you've got to have five stripes on the tie visible. And if you don't, you get a detention. Well, the number of strikes my tie is not who I am. It does. And again, you know, there'll be people out there who, and it's, it's the elite. It's the it's the people that I call I, very dismissively because I think we can be dismissively because if because these people dismiss play and they dismiss childhood. Well, actually, no, I'm going to advocate for childhood. I know if I went to a dinner party, who I want to spend company with, it ain't going to be the adults. It will be the children who are knocking about next door because actually their world's going to be far more interesting than you know mortgage chat and where I went on holiday. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because they will. Yeah. They'll just go da da. Let's go and play with Lego. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go and build, engineer, invent all of that stuff. And I believe that's what we have to start doing is, is actually laughing at the adult world and going, do you know what? No, you, this, is a, this is based on control. And if that's what you believe you should bring into the kingdom of play, then actually get out. <laughs> get yeah. out because we don't want you. Yeah. It's, childhood does not need to be controlled. 
you know it really doesn't but it can't but the adult world can't control it unless it makes all these mad rules up about stuff and timetables and you know it's you know i've worked with people who talk about they want play with rigor i mean what on earth does that mean it's like it's just nonsense speak it's like what so people say these things they don't even know what they're talking about yeah and children just want simplicity when they go home they want simplicity and ultimately parents are companions on the Mm. adventure Mm. it's companionship i'd love to um just ask you a bit more about adventure island because (laughs) i think the 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 imagination in adulthood which actually is is starting to be a sort of thread through this conversation which is interesting in itself um i think is is can be intimidating so um, imagination is this sort of you know it's this thing that we all have it's not just some people are born imaginative and others are not but as we both know if you stop using it 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 does sort of weaker and and one thing that I find really interesting that people sort of message me every time I mention pretend play or role play Mm -hmm. because I'm a big advocate of that it seems that adults can be like really intimidated by their children's imagination of course it's almost like I compare it to like it's like you've never played tennis and now you're going to go and play with a pro that's what it's like if you haven't sort of continued to to sort of um keep your imagination going um, and I just, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what Imagination Island is, like ha- how how we play it and how to, um, I suppose, how to help adults understand the importance of imagination um, in adulthood. Um, and yeah, like just a bit of encouragement to, to, to get people to engage in it. Yeah, I mean, it's not... It's not, I think, again, part of a lot of the language that I use around all of this and, and with teaching and with childhood is about confidence. So the narrative often that's, that's, you know, the adult world narrative is about ability. Can you do it? Can't you do it? Knowledge. Da, da, da. My thing is about confidence. And the most confident imaginators tend to be children. Yeah. Tend to be. Not all children, but they tend to be children. Um, and it's about partly listening to our children, what they are imagining. And rather than dismissing it, I'm not saying parents, adults, are, by the way, this, I'm not saying the adults at home are listening to this are doing that, but as in just being curious, what is, mm. how are they seeing it? So for example, you know, there's a big wooden box in the house. What do children do with it? Because they're not going to go, the first thing that passes a children's mind isn't, shall I go and recycle it? A child is going to go, it's a boat, a plane, space, whatever it might be. Children can see the infinite. Mm. In, every, in the world there's an amazing quote um, through Reggio Emilia they wrote a book called Remida R-E-M-I-D-A and one of the quotes from a five year old was all objects have the right to be something else which is an extraordinary thing for a five year old to say and I believe it's more about seeing our children in a way it's like very loose simple in simple terms like oh, it's almost like a research project you know what, are, what is my child trying to show me here you know, and if we struggle with our confidence with imaginative play, let the child take the yeah. lead. Listen to them. One of the things with Adventure Island is, is I created um, is on a, my YouTube channel, which is the Greg Bottrell YouTube channel. I filmed 110 episodes of Adventure Island TV where me and Bonnie and Eppie, who are just here, we discover an imaginative, wor- imaginative world called Adventure Island. And, which, and I created it to try and support parents and children, of course, in seeing the world through different eyes. So, for example, it, I mean, I recorded it, I filmed it in a wood that's near me, but really the best places to do it are in cities. 
because you have all these remnants of history mm. knocking about. So it's about, you know, they'll have like bricked up doors and, you know, old signs. And it's like there's a world. So it's almost like as you walk past a door, it's just asking, I wonder what's behind it. I wonder what's behind it. And the moment you've done that with children, the children tend to fill the gaps in. So if there's something behind it, there's a character normally, or there's a world or a place. So if you've got a place, who lives there? Why are they there? What do they eat? How do they get about? Is there a baddie? Is there a goodie? What do they want to tell us? See what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of, it's just almost like a little jigsaw puzzle yeah. that can start very simply just by saying, I wonder who's, you know, like often I find, because the thing is with Adventure Island, once you start seeing it, it's really hard to unsee it, um, which is a good thing, by the way. Um, you'll sometimes find on the streets, little metal round things, ran, I don't know what, what they are, what they're, did you see them? But they're like buttons. So if you press it, what happens? Yeah. <laughs> you know, does something open? Does something close? Does it release a baddie? And probably all of us along the way have some remnants of our childhood of nursery rhymes, of the stories that we had, traditional tales. So if you mm. press the button, does the gingerbread man appear? And what does he want? Could we outrun it? See what's where I'm going with that? Yeah. It's, it's just trying to be, stories are simple, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And, you know, again, in Adventure Ride, I make up characters and try and share with parents the joy of making up characters. So, you know, just shifting. So, you know, Humpty Dumpty can be Humpty Lumpty. Yeah. So who now is Humpty Lumpty? It's just, and, and maybe that's easy. Maybe that's easier for me because I have the confidence to do it. But we can learn to be confident just because we feel we can't do it doesn't mean that we, that that's we can't it. do it. And I think what, it's so brilliant to hear you explain that because it's the simplicity in it that's so important for people listening for sure. to this to remember because I think something that happens because also parenting now is so comparative um even yeah. within um co-parents so mm -hmm. a lot of people will tell me oh my husband or my wife you know they're so playful and I just feel so boring and I just get so panicked when I have to do any kind of role play mm -hmm. Keep it simple. Have a bank of curious questions, yep. like you say. Think about the environment around you. Anything can be bought, can be your mm -hmm. adventure island. And that simplicity is Absolutely. so, so brilliant. And that spark, like, I think that's another thing for, for, for parents and for teachers listening to take away. Like, the spark of imagination yeah. is, like, children have it and they will yes. take it. But yep. you have the power to almost just, like, light the match just Absolutely. a little question pointing something yes. out and but to hold a lightness to what they do with that spark and I think that's the other um, thing that can happen is that you know when they come back with some sort of wacky answer that parents can be a bit mm -hmm. like oh no well that's you know that's because mm -hmm. they don't quite know just hold a lightness to whatever yeah. they're going to do with the spark absolutely because children it's all of that because what children want is they want nonsense they don't want yeah. the world to make sense and they want malevolence they want mild malevolence they want baddies baddies are really yeah. intriguing for, for young children with the playful thing with the with the with the parent is you know if you are if you are co-parenting if you have got your partner and maybe your partner's in inverted commas really good at play confident with play then it's almost so then be simple and go okay so but what am i good at what am i confident with mm -hmm. is it that i'm confident in just in in, in sharing a book am i confident in yeah you know in cooking a uh, cooking food you know, I, I quite recently have looked, well, actually the people that know me probably say I'm still a terrible cook, but I've just started cooking for myself and trying to really experiment with things. 
And actually, it's just, and that, and that can be, in, it's like, if you, it's just a time together. Time together hasn't always got to be imaginative play. It, it can just be as simple as just, you know, being in the same room and yeah. just, you know, just singing a song or, yep. I don't know, just doing a silly, whatever. It doesn't have to be a silly dance, but just listening to music together or, um, you know, it just, it doesn't have to always be something that we feel is beyond ourselves. It's almost like going, well, okay, what am I confident in? What my what joy can I show my children? What joy am I when the joy of being me? Because I'm a companion. It's like, yeah, you're a parent, but if you're on an adventure, you're a companion. Yeah. And I think the you worst, know? the biggest barrier is to think of yourself as an entertainer. And that yeah. is also a problem with kind of um contemporary childhood. And we see sure. all these messages around like, oh, summer's coming, boredom busters, and like all this, like, yeah. oh, I can never let the kids be bored. It's almost like the worst fear. And parents, I think, sort of take on this. Maybe it's even subconscious, they don't even realize it, that their job is to constantly entertain. Yep. And it's like, as you're saying, it's like, just jo just join them in, yes. just be be co-play with them. Yep. I always try and encourage parents to, to not really facilitate or like teaching activities. Like if you're doing mm -hmm. like Play-Doh, just do the Play-Doh, whatever you want to do with it. And mm -hmm. you sort of end up having this, you know, social imaginative experience just, it just falls out because that's how yes. we're programmed. You don't have to be following a specific thing or teaching them, you know, a no. certain thing. They might ask you something and that's lovely, or you might, you know, it just sort of let it, let it fold out. Like just take the pressure off and just, yep. as, as you say. Because you've had time together. You've had time. Exactly. That's what it is. But also time together is also time apart. Children need to be bored. Yeah. They do need to be bored. They need yep. to get themselves out of their boredom and and invent something it's like it's like gumption gumption's the word that we don't really hear very often nowadays but it's a great the, word it's a great word <laughs> but gumption comes from boredom and it's okay lots of life is about it tries to make everything scheduled nowadays yeah and if you don't schedule stuff somehow you're a you're a bad parent this by the way is capitalism that's what it does it doesn't want you to do stuff for free because <laughs> it can't yeah, that's why that's why play struggles, because play ultimately is free. Yeah, I had this really f funny conversation with um, a friend the other day um, and she was like, oh, my son's mm. showing an interest in uh, cooking. This is great. And she was like, oh, and I'm, I'm trying to find trying to find somewhere that he could get lessons. And, you know, yeah. I found this and I was like could just like let him cook and we yep. were laughing because she was like oh my god I can't even believe <laughs> I didn't even think but that it's she was like it's so embarrassing mm -hmm. I was like yeah just like let him pick a recipe from yep. the internet and do it she was like yep. I'm she was and she was mortified she was like what is going on that like my brain is programmed that I'm mm -hmm. like oh he's asked to cook I need to find a class and I'm figuring out when I can fit into the schedule and yep. when I can fit into the budget and it was just it was just it was very funny but perhaps maybe a little bit of silliness is also helpful for the craziness yeah, absolutely. of what it's become to raise kids. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, part of it is when you do that with your child, who are they having time with? It's you. And that's really powerful. Now, I also accept that not everyone's in that position yeah. because, you know, you might have to hold down several jobs yeah. and maybe you do have to do that. That still does not make you a bad parent. If you do that, that's basically you're putting, you're providing something for your children, which is a roof over their heads, which is probably the most yeah. 
powerful thing you yeah. can do. You know, your security. And you can't play unless you've got any of those things. No, you of course you can't. Unless you've got your basic but needs. Exactly. And part of it is though is that play must not be a privilege. It yeah. can't be. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to politics and yeah. all of that kind of thing. Because I do believe play is play is politics. Mm. And until we begin to question what's going on then then that won't then that won't change if i just show you this this is just a this is from adventure island this is the magic mustard tin it's really really simple you know something like this probably costs about four or five pounds if you've got a pet a grandparent they might have something like like an old biscuit tin something quite retro that children yeah. wouldn't see in the shops ordinarily yeah. and the idea is is that you just have it you can have it in your in your um in your in a room somewhere and now and again even if it's every day in the morning there's just an object in there and now we've got wonder because what so it's, it's like where's it come from who's left it so you've what pulled out I, a key out of your magic mustard yeah. tin and what would you say there to a child just well I just ask them where it's i wonder where it's come from yeah there's a key i might you know i could describe it if i wanted to but you know i'd let them hold it and say i wonder i wonder what it opens and leave that hanging because I'm not going to tell them they'll come up with something. And if they can't, I might think, well, what does the key open? Well, it's a, a car, is it going to be a vehicle or a door, a treasure chest. So there's three ideas straight away, quite simple ones. And now what's in it? Shall we go and use the key? Now we're going into imagine it because there isn't a yeah. vehicle, obviously. What does it open? And here then becomes the root of what I work at is for that key to work, you need a passcode. And, and this is when we then, this isn't a teaching, not at home. You can do it at home, yeah, but then we this go is into where we, maths. Then you go, yeah. Yeah. The code. That. And that's the most powerful thing you can do with children because yeah. they, because they want to open it. They'll want mm. the maths. Mm. And that's the difference because they don't want to function. So when I was, when I was a key stage two teacher, I would give my children, you know, we do a lesson on times tables and then I give my children 40 questions on times tables. But after the fifth one, they were telling me that they knew what they were doing. But again, the adult world, and I was in it, just fills up time. They didn't need to do all 40. They showed me they could do it in five. This flips it. It's not, it's trying to show children that there's, that things are, they're almost like maths, mark making are there to be played with. Mm. But it's a really, you know, again, I've got like here, I've just got like a little, in this one maybe is a little blue teddy bear. That, you know, it might just be an object that you, I don't know, if you work in an office, you bring home a pencil. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, and you, now you've got the pencil of power. I wonder yeah. if you chose to tell children you've got the pencil of power, they'll want it in their hand. Yeah. I've yet to meet a child who doesn't want the pencil of power. You I know, want or, the pencil of power. <laughs> but like when you're out and about, I don't know, again, it's like, and I know life's busy. I, you know, I, yeah. I know it is. But, you know, you, you find a feather on the road and your child's not, you know, on the way home from work or Put it in your pocket, take it home, put it in the magic mustard tin for the next day. What left it? What does it do? A magical power. What, yeah. you know, what might there be a word that we've got to say to make it work? Yeah. You know, or do we have to go somewhere, you know, on the way when we see a road sign or whatever it might be, something really simple. If mm -hmm. we say hello to it, then the feather will work and something will happen. A bird yeah. will come or, you know, what's. Yeah. See what I mean? So simple, so simple. And just so like the skills, the imagination skills from doing a little exercises like that are just incredible to keep that sort of almost like little rituals of imagination yeah. that you can do. So simple. And it's that, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'd I, love I, to I... ask you um, how, how do you keep your imagination alive 
in your sort of personal adult life? Because I'm I'm always really interested in playful people yeah. and how, because there are certain life stages where for most adults, it just disappears. And a lot of this like childlike wonder just gets kind of sucked out of us through the responsibilities of adulthood. So what yeah. are the things that have kept your playfulness alive obviously it's part of your profession but maybe you could teach us a little bit about how how you keep it alive for you um i i try and make time i try and make time for to, to get out into nature yeah um and i did that when i lived in a town i would just again trees again this is about companionship so i try and make companions this sounds a bit mad does it making companions with trees but I, I do believe in that and that they can have a deep meaning for us um so again, animal. I talk a lot about animal allies. Mm. So all so people that know me will probably laugh when I mention this. But near me, there's a river, and there's an egret, a white, beautiful, mm. beautiful white egret. And I go and see him every day, and I go and talk to him. And I know that sounds mad, but I'm on my walk, and I'll just chat with not out loud, but in my head, and I'll just go and chat with him. Um, and there's a lake nearby. There's a black swan. I don't know if anyone's ever seen a black swan ever, but it's the I most. Think I have. On, but it's a place called Bridgewell near me, at this uh, stately home, and it's it's just like it's floated out of a like of a, out of a Shakespearean dream. Yeah. It, it's just there, and it's all by itself. It's never seen with anything. It just floats on this. The, the lake is like this green lake. So I go and see it. I just I go out of my way to go and talk to it. Which I, I know people are probably thinking I'm gone a bit mad here, but that's how I do it. And I I, I listen to a lot of music. Mm. I read a lot of poetry, so I I love the poetry of Mary Oliver. So I don't know if people are familiar with her, but she's really powerful, really, really powerful. Um, W.H. Auden. I know poetry is not for everybody, but I find it, I just read a little bit of it. I don't try and read a whole poem. I don't try and remember it. I just find little phrases so yeah. that, that really speak to me. So mm. one quite recently was a W.H. Auden one is um, When I'm Old and Grey. And one of the lines is um, it talks about the the man who loved the pilgrim soul in you. And that's what I love. The pilgrims, just the phrase, the pilgrim soul. Yeah. Because ultimately, I, I kind of guess that's what I have. I just, I'm on this, it's an adventure. Yeah. And it's uh, just how I see life. describing is soulification. <laughs> and I think like when you talk about the swan, like those moments of awe, yeah. they are so connected to playfulness. Yeah. I don't even know what science is going on there, but those are <laughs> moments they're so linked and I wanted to, to share with you just before I close mm. that your stories that I love to follow when you're sort of going around and you're finding these companions that how I've interpreted that and I think about it a lot now because I, I I love walking and I love going on like a wonder walk and looking around but that has changed how I do that now because I look for the allies yep. and I sort of find them and it's just like what speaks to your soul it's like what's what jumps Absolutely. out you. it's so interesting and I think we have this expression where sometimes when like things just seem so awful, we have this expression, the whole world is against me and everyone yep. knows what that feels like. And having this process, this idea of looking for allies when you're out and about, when I felt like that, like everything is going wrong, I feel like the whole world is against me. Entering into this playful bubble where you can go for a walk and yep. find your allies, find your companions, totally shifts it for me it's like well no actually the whole world isn't against me I've got mm -hmm. friends everywhere here yep. <laughs> they're yep. all around me I just have to go and find them and that's what I've taken from your language oh that means a lot <laughs> that means a lot to hear that because it is it's about you know it's about the stories that we tell 
we tell of ourselves often when mm. you get into conversations with adults you're not talking to you are talking to them but really what you're doing is talking to yourself yeah. you're telling them the story that you believe and if you tell it enough times you believe it yeah and you know i yeah i've had really dark times in my life i've struggled with lots of things and i'm not you know i'm not this kind of sort of hippie poet walking yeah. around in la la land that's not what it is you know I've, I've gone through real trauma in my life as we all have and it's just trying to say okay but the story i'm going to tell myself is going to be of the black swan mm. that's what it's about and the black mm. swan comes and he's there for me and there's a magical connection to them in the same way there is to the clouds the weather everything is an ally everything is a companion the food that you eat the drink that you put that you allow into yourself you know i I've had big difficulties around alcohol, which I, I talk quite openly about. I now see alcohol is not an ally for me. Yes. And it's taken me a yes. long time to see that, but it's not an ally. So if it's not an ally, what is? Well, it's the opposite of alcohol. Yeah. You see what I mean? So it's like our places that I go to, are they allies? Are the people that I'm around, are mm. they allies? And am I an ally to them? Mm. So all of those things are kind of, you know, and it comes back to dogs and, you know, all the, everything that's around us. The experiences I, I have. You've touched on something really important there, which is this playful way of thinking is not just for joyful times. It's not no. just for because we want to learn something, which yeah. obviously comes into there. But in these times of trauma, these moments where things are not going well, this stuff is medicine. It really Absolutely. is. It's magical medicine that can help us with how we think, see the world, tell those stories, for and sure. how we sort of move move through into the next stage of life and that's yeah. why these subjects of imagination or childlike wonder we have to keep almost like working on their understanding and and how people relate to them because they're so so important uh, absolutely and you know just to finish with that the, the, there's a mary oliver poem and it ends the last line is joy joy is not made to be a crumb and it's really powerful if you let that just sit with you, because it's not, you know, it's uh, there's a, I can't remember who wrote the, it's a, there's a book that says the soul is here for its own joy. And, and those two lines for me are really powerful because it is, and it can feel it. We have to allow it to feel it. And when we do, we can begin that adventure. And it's not just an adventure outwardly, it's the adventure inwardly. And that's the most important one which ultimately is about play in my in my third book that comes out next month called love letters to play it's it's open line is play loves you and that's what i believe it's well, healing i think we're gonna have to have another chat when <laughs> there's so many things i didn't get to but thank you so much this You're has welcome. just been like a really cozy cup of tea Good. that's what it's felt like um i've Good. thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you thank you so Likewise. much for your time and no, just you. keep doing what you're doing and thank you for for what you do because you. you know to think that you're out there in this you know this structure that we can't control and having your influence is honestly um it, it's really really important and encouraging that you're doing what you're doing so thank you so much no thank you and thank you for being one of the play people yay <laughs>